Hi, I'm Jim Park. Welcome to this HTT Leadership Insights podcast. It's the second in a three-part series featuring Thermoking. You can catch the previous episode with Paul Cruz on the Heavy Duty Trucking YouTube channel and in the audio podcast archive of your favorite podcast platform. My guest in this episode is Thermoking's lead engineer for electrical systems, Matt Cernick. In the first half of this episode, we're going to be talking about bringing some standardization to emerging electric mobile refrigeration technology. In the second half, Matt and I are going to look at how EPTO will replace mechanical connections to the vehicle powertrain with an electrical connection to the EV battery to drive self-powered accessory equipment. But before we begin, remember to follow and connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcasts and YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode of HTT Leadership Insights Podcast or HTT Talks Trucking. My conversation with Matt begins after this word from Thermoking. This episode is sponsored by and produced in partnership with Thermoking. Thermoking's mission is to improve quality of life. That's why they constantly innovate to find increasingly cost-effective ways to ensure that passengers and temperature-sensitive goods make it to their destination safely and efficiently. Their commitment to sustainability extends to the environmental impacts of their people, products, operations, and services. Thermoking invented transportation refrigeration in 1938 and will help keep your fleet on the move. Uh, hi there, Matt, and welcome to the audio-only version of HTT Leadership Insights Podcast. Glad to have you aboard, sir. Thanks a lot, Jim. Uh, glad to join you here and talk a little bit about transport refrigeration, uh, standardization, and uh, what the future holds for uh, electrification in the trucking industry. Well, on the video version of the podcast, we sort of danced around a little bit on uh, standards and uh, EPTOs and a few other things, just a relatively uh, light look at it all. Going to go a bit deeper this time around. Uh, so let's just talk about the standards for a minute. Uh, there are a couple that we're that we're looking at right now. Um, how are we progressing with those and how are the talks coming, I guess, about uh, making those standards uh, universal across the board? Well, in a lot of cases, the standards that are being adopted here in the uh, commercial transport industry are, are the same ones that are being used in passenger cars uh, and light trucks today. Uh, the SAEJ 1772 standard really defines the t- uh, level one and level two charging, uh, the AC charging where there's a charger on the on the truck or on your car, and uh, the, the charger interface or the electric vehicle supply equipment or EVSE uh, connects between the outlet uh, in your house or at your workplace uh, and your vehicle. And that piece of uh, EVSE provides uh, protection, uh, provides all of the, uh, uh, the UL listing approvals for, uh, for a safe charging interface between your vehicle and the grid. Um, and that's, I think, what we'll see, we'll see on some vehicles, especially, you know, class one uh, through four, possibly five, as we start to get into the large vehicles, larger batteries, DC charging or the CCS or combined charging standard will tend to be um, more common, I think. And uh, we've seen that too, where uh, where the larger OEMs are, are, are using DC charging, DC fast charging, sometimes it's referred to, uh, and sometimes in combination with uh, lower powered uh, AC charging, uh, but there's a CCS Type 1 that combines the SAE uh, J1772 AC port with uh, DC contacts for that fast charging interface. And those chargers, the DC chargers, can, uh, can range anywhere from, from uh, you know, 25 kilowatts, 20 kilowatts, which isn't really fast, but it uh, it's, uses the same interface, 
all the way up to 150, uh, 350, uh, and, uh, and, and beyond. The uh, other trend standard that's coming on the DC side is the, uh, the MCS, or the megawatt charging standard. And that's being sponsored by Charon uh, Consortium of uh, OEMs and companies, uh, charging, charger manufacturers, that really look to support megawatt charging, a high energy transfer, a very fast uh, fuel pump type, uh, uh, type timing here. And the, those first pilot uh, charging sites are being rolled out right now. I'm excited to see what, what those bring. Uh, lastly, there's uh, another charging standard, uh, SAE J3068. This is a commercial charging standard, commercial only, that SAE um, uh, published uh, several years ago now uh, through the development of a, of a need-based standard for three-phase uh, AC charging. So if you remember the J1772, level one and level two charging, that is single phase only here in North America. J1772 uh, in Europe uh, includes uh, both single and three-phase charging. So with the need for industrial and commercial applications here where three-phase power is more common, SAE uh, put together this J3068 standard, again with a consortium of, of OEMs and charger manufacturers, to look at a higher-powered three-phase charging standard to basically fill the gap that uh, J1772 left for North America when three-phase was not included. Um, there's been a very limited adoption. Uh, I think maybe one OEM has picked up on this or uh, uh, a look to implement it. Uh, but the, the story is still being written, I think, for J3068. Uh, obviously, multiple standards uh, tends to uh, be less desirable because the more standards you have, the fewer the less standardization it actually is, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but we can definitely see where three-phase uh, infrastructure on the AC charging side uh, could could have a good fit. Um, the other burden, however, is uh, the larger onboard chargers. So using the J1772 or the J3068 uh, uh, type of interface requires that there is an onboard charger on the vehicle, and that's to convert your AC power to DC and match your battery voltage and provide a, a safe and regulated charging system. And um, those, those pieces of equipment uh, can be quite expensive, um, especially if you're, if you're adding it separate to the rest of your power electronics uh, or as an option, depending on what kind of uh, options you provide for your vehicle. So I think a J3068 could have a role in the future, but uh, some of it depends on the architecture of the system and uh, what's what's willing to be uh, accepted from the industry from a uh, uh, from different standards or, or adoption of multiple standards. Well, we all know how much fleets like paying more for equipment. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got a more expensive charging system there, and you've got three trailers for every one tractor. That's going to drive costs up. So I imagine there's going to be some pushback. Uh, against that kind of a charging system, unless there's some real obvious benefit to it, right, right. I think we, I think we definitely see, definitely see uh, on the transport refrigeration side, uh, CCS or DC charging really uh, uh, becoming the standard, um, and especially now that it's available in uh, three phase input. So you can have a three phase uh, input, 480 volt. Uh, three-phase uh, supply in, in fairly low power, you know, down to like 20, uh, 25 kilowatts, and have that charging handle there available for your vehicle. 
Now, low power charging in the transport refrigeration world really makes sense. Um, you still need your bulk charging, your high rate charging equipment, your megawatt charging system to charge your trucks, uh, get them turned around, get them back on the road. Uh, but for examples where you have, say, a straight truck uh, with a refrigeration body on it and the refrigeration system running, um, you're going to consume energy from that battery uh, through the, the connections, through the EPTO, uh, which I think we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. um, where you're uh, you know, consuming range. And we all know that transport refrigeration equipment, in order to properly condition the uh, the cargo box, you need to pre-cool that cargo box. That takes time and energy. And then you're going to load your uh, load your goods uh, that uh, are uh, pre, uh, pre-cooled as well. And then once that truck is loaded, it gets moved usually to a staging area or the doors are closed and it waits at the loading dock until it's ready to leave on that uh on that delivery trip. All during that time, uh, the, the refrigeration equipment is running and uh, you're sharing that battery uh, that provides the driving range to the vehicle. Uh, a perfect application for um, opportunity charging. Uh, sometimes it's defined as, or this low power charging where transport refrigeration equipment takes a, a fairly low amount of energy compared to the drivetrain of a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And uh, a 20 kilowatt charger uh, is more than enough uh, to both fully top off that battery and keep that refrigeration system running uh, at, at peak efficiency and at full power uh, before that truck is ready to leave on its route. And then with the, with the, uh, with the truck all charged up and with your cargo um, at your uh, desired temperature range, once that truck is ready to leave the yard on its trip, uh, the range calculations are all valid and you can successfully complete your delivery route. So uh, that really, I think, shows that there's a, there's a good opportunity for this, uh, for this opportunity charging. And, uh, you know, whether it's at, uh, at the loading docks uh, or at the staging area um, or in a, in a combination with other charging equipment, um, it's, it's really looked at as on-duty charging. So a lot of times the, the tractors are taken off-duty, put, uh, you know, put in a charging slot. Uh, and charged, uh, but this uh, this opportunity charging is really intended to be a, a on duty uh, uh, charging uh, charging event when there's a load uh, when the, the vehicle's being staged and ready for delivery. Well, when you talk about on duty charging and opportunity charging, is that the same as providing shore power to run a unit while it's parked at a dock, or is it something totally different? Essentially, yes. Uh, with uh, with electrified vehicles, uh, as we move towards battery-powered trucks and battery-powered trailers, um, the the DC charging or maybe possibly AC charging will take the place of shore power. We don't see we don't see a, a desire to have both shore power in one plug and charging in another plug uh, concurrently uh, for the same truck or for the same trailer. Um, a one-plug approach is really what our our customers are telling us. And uh, they just want to plug in once. They want to have that uh, power be predictable. Uh, they want to know how much uh, uh, and how fast that will take to charge their vehicle. Um, I think there's definitely going to be a crossover between shore power today um, and the charging infrastructure of, of uh, tomorrow. Or uh, tomorrow could come fairly quickly. <laughs> um, but I think there is going to be adoption and, and more adoption for shore power uh traditional shore power where you have a uh, um, 
you know, an engine-operated piece of refrigeration equipment, uh, and then you'll have shore power available uh, to run that uh, run that compressor uh, off of the grid um, when you're at a uh, when you're in the truck yard, when you're at a truck stop, when you're at a at a domicile where that electricity is available and and reserve diesel operation for on the road. And uh, I think what we see is is as that shore power is installed today, there's an opportunity to uh, to make it ready for charging in the future. And uh, we've had discussions with uh, with power utilities and others that are sponsoring these infrastructure projects, and to make sure that when you're putting in shore power today, that you make it capable uh, to be able to convert to uh, uh, you know uh, uh, an AC uh, or a DC a CCS. Uh, charging station uh, tomorrow for for future uh, compatibility. So you're not running that infrastructure, building infrastructure, or pulling a wire twice. There's those pesky standards again. Yep. <laughs> uh, I know Thermal King makes the uh, refrigeration units per se, uh, but they are bolted onto trailers at some point. Is is there going to have to be any work done to the trailers themselves? Uh, to accommodate this, you know, additional cabling, battery storage, um, all the electronics that are going to need to be put somewhere. Is this going to be a, a trailer maker's problem too at some point? Yeah, and I don't, I don't really think it's a problem, but I think Maybe it's, definitely, not a problem. A, a, it's definitely a, a challenge and, uh, and a combined engineering uh, effort for sure. Um, we've, we've mounted uh, heavy equipment underneath uh, trailers for years, um, uh, Thermo King makes undermount uh, engine-driven reefers. Um, you know the the liftgate manufacturers uh, provide equipment underneath the trailer. And uh, if you've looked at your uh, typical food service distribution trailer, uh, there's all sorts of things under there: conveyors and material handling equipment, uh, stair lifts, um, and uh, and other systems that are uh, taking place under the trailer. So. Um, you know, part of it's going to be let's find some real estate for the equipment, um, and let's make sure that it's uh, it's correctly supported. Um, you know, there's the TTMA guidelines for uh, for center clearance uh, that have to be followed in order to make sure that you know these trailers aren't uh, aren't, aren't going to end up high centered. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of guidelines to follow. And again, we, we're talking about standards. Uh, Truck Trailer Manufacturing Association is is uh, is a good resource for. Um, some of these mechanical uh, and under-trailer uh, uh, applications for mounting systems as well. And what about some of the uh, electrical, electronic stuff that goes into all this? Uh, we've got communications protocols and all sorts of connections, I gather, hooking up different components of these systems. Are, there, are those standards cover all of that content as well, or is that something that's developed separately? Well, I think some of the uh, some of the standards, like um, the communications, uh, CAN communications, the SAEJ nineteen thirty nine is very typically used mm-hmm. uh, to connect all of these uh, pieces of electronic hardware together, including the communication systems, the power electronics, the batteries, uh, the chargers, and um, uh, there's also uh, uh, other standards that are adopted. Uh, vehicle OEM specific standards, uh, standards that are more common. Uh, in Europe for safety and chassis uh, cert- uh, certification. Uh, batteries take uh, quite a bit of certification uh, following standardization from, uh, uh, from EN standards and from, uh, from SAE standards and, 
You know, some UL standards can apply as well, especially for equipment that connects to the grid. So yeah, there's a lot of things out there uh, and a lot of good guidance provided by these standards organizations. Um, but but no one's really going to give you a standard that covers, say, a, a, a full power system for a truck or a four po- full power system for a, for a trailer. Um, uh, a lot of that is, uh, is up to the OEMs or up to the manufacturers to... Uh, to follow best practices and, and apply these standards uh, that apply to different parts of the system um, in best practices. Okay, we're going to take a short break here, Matt. As a reminder, we're speaking with Matt Cernick. He's Thermo King's uh, lead engineer for electrical systems. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about EPTO, e-power takeoff, and uh, some of the implications for the users of this equipment once all these standards come into place. You're listening to the HTT Leadership Insights Podcast. I'm Jim Park. We'll be back in just a minute. Wondering how your transportation business will meet new regulations and increasing market expectations for more sustainable operations? There's good news. In a world where sustainability has become business table stakes, Thermoking is going all in. They're investing more than $100 million to deliver a fully electric product in every segment of the cold chain by 2023. The effort includes launching Evolve, a new brand representing their all-electric product line for the truck, trailer, bus, rail, and marine markets. That means you can rest easier knowing that Thermoking is working day and night to deliver bold solutions for a more sustainable world that helps customers decrease their carbon footprints while still driving profit. Customer success has always been one of Thermoking's core purposes. The growing demand for electrification doesn't change that fact. That's why you can count on Thermoking to help meet your sustainability goals as you transition your fleets to stay ahead of the curve. We're back with Matt Cernick. He's Thermoking's lead engineer for electrical systems. Uh, Matt, in the video podcast, we touched on uh, EPTO, e-power takeoff. Can you uh, break that out for us, maybe in a little bit more detail here on the audio side? Sure. You bet, Jim. Um, so EPTO or electric power takeoff um, in the industry right now it has a couple of different uh, couple of different meanings. Um, uh, your listeners might be most most familiar with EPTO as it defines um, for uh, emissions reduction uh, equipment or emissions elimination equipment uh, uh, engine off uh, performance uh, for hydraulic equipment and uh, these EPTO uh, uh, systems can provide hydraulic power. Uh, for bucket trucks and for other equipment uh, with the combustion vehicle's engine off. So that's one type of EPTO. Uh, The EPTO we're going to get into today is uh, uh, more commonly associated with all electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles where there is an onboard battery system and that battery power is shared between the vehicle's powertrain and accessory equipment on the bodybuilder side. So um, I'm currently chairing an SAE task force to develop Uh, electric power takeoff standards for commercial vehicles and the standard number is uh, j3253 Um, right now that's just a web page and a whole bunch of work going on behind the scenes Uh, but what we're looking to do uh, is uh, um, have a group of uh, of vehicle oem uh, experts um, uh, bodybuilder experts connector experts and other uh, other subject matter um, experts in the field to define uh, a connector interface, uh, specifically on straight truck to start with, 
between the electric vehicle chassis and the bodybuilder interface. And our hope is to, uh, to uh, have the standard really be helpful for uh, both parties, uh, the chassis manufacturer and the bodybuilder, to um, easily develop um, systems that work together and that the bodybuilder doesn't have to go reinvent an interface for every different uh, vehicle chassis and, and vice versa. So um, we've been working on this for about a year and a half or so. Uh, we've got a lot of development to go, uh, but we hope to have something published by the end of this year uh, initially for the industry to review and uh, likely for us to uh, continue to update uh, towards standardization. Will this apply only to uh, transport refrigeration units or any kind of an electrical implement that's put on a body or a truck? Oh, no, no. This is, this is for any sort of body application. And we've come up with a, with a bunch. This could be a, a dump truck. This could be a, a, a refuse truck, a paper shredder, bucket truck. Um, transport refrigeration is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all have different duty cycles. They all have different applications. Uh, many of the applications are hydraulically powered today. And there are systems that uh, convert that electric energy on the vehicle to a hydraulic uh, hydraulic energy, uh, but a lot of these systems are being uh, reworked and uh, and considered for all electric operation or a, or a partial conversion between hydraulic and and electric operation. So many many applications, just about anything uh, you can see going down the road, either a, a commercial application or a vocational application. Um, electric snow plows could come someday come to the roads of, uh, of, of the upper Midwest here. So um, all sorts of uh, possible ways in uh, that in those applications need power converted from the from the powertrain uh, to these accessory uh, accessory operations, whether it's to to cool or move or lift uh, or, or grind or shred. It's uh, it's all about converting that electric power to uh, to mechanical power. Do you see this as a, sort of an electric over hydraulic setup, or would you be using electric motors directly to drive the grinders and crunchers and lifters and all the other stuff? Well, uh, the, the task force isn't really looking to define um, uh, the... The, either the chassis or the bodybuilder application specifically, okay. we're really focused on that interface. And that interface yeah. is a combination of high voltage DC, uh, because again, uh, we think you know DC uh, connectivity is the most uh, basic and easiest to manage. And uh, then there's a signal element to that. So uh, J1939, we've mentioned previously, it's a, a well-established, uh, well-defined, and adopted communication standard uh, for commercial vehicles. So there'll be J1939 communication in there. There'll also be a selection of analog signals uh, related to both uh, high-voltage disconnection, safety. Um, there'll be a high-voltage uh, you know, disconnect detection or high-voltage interlock detection as part of that to make sure that if that connector is pulled apart, uh, that the uh, that the high voltage automatically cuts off, and then different signals between the chassis and the bodybuilder. Say if there was a uh, a crash, say if the uh, the chassis you know established a crash, you would want to tell that bodybuilder equipment that quick shut off, discharge all the energy, and make sure everything is safe, and, and vice versa. If there was a uh, something that happened on the 
on the bodybuilder equipment where you wanted to disconnect that EPTO interface uh, quickly, um, there's functionality to do that. And there's also uh, multiple underlying J1939 messages being defined by the OEMs um, to control uh, the EPTO functions and add more functionality and information transfer between the bodybuilder equipment and the, the chassis system itself. Wow. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yep. yep. A lot it's going very, on there. It's very complex. There's a lot going on there. It's, it's, it's pretty complex, but again, our, our task force is trying to be very focused on the interface. So um, like our old friend, the J560 connector uh, between the tractor and the trailer, um, the, the, the standard will define the pins, the interface, the mating uh, coupling, and those signals. And then everything else behind that interface is, is open for uh, development and continuous improvement. And uh, uh, like again, like the J560 connector, it's seen improvement after improvement uh, over time, uh, but it's stuck with us for a long time. So that's the one thing, uh, again, with standardization, you want to make sure that the standards you uh, define today uh, will be applicable for years to come because uh, once adoption happens, it's usually very difficult to change. Well, that makes me think too, when you're talking about the bodybuilder side of the business, there are hundreds probably of really small shops out there <laughs> building electrical implements for trucks. They're all going to have to get on this on, on board with this too, I presume at some point. Although the, the complexity, especially if you're talking about hydraulic systems might not be as, as different as, uh, as some may think today. Okay. Um, you know, if there's a, uh, if there's a way to convert that electrical energy to hydraulic power, electric pump, you know, once you have that and you have some system controls, the rest of the downstream really doesn't look that much different. Um, I'm not a hydraulic expert, uh, but I know I've seen, uh, uh, you know, quite a few adaptions uh, and, uh, and, and really innovative systems to uh, take that hydraulic energy and use it very or use, take the electric energy, convert it to hydraulic energy uh, very efficiently and, uh, uh, and provide basically the same interface for if you're putting a dump body on today, you can sell that same dump body uh, uh, or refuse body tomorrow and, and do that. Now, there may be advantages to electrifying some of those, like I said, um, you know, putting in electric servos and other motors and actuators uh, to go fully electric. Uh, but I think period, uh, durability, uh, kind of like you mentioned earlier, is really important. Uh, longevity and the ability to repair some of these pieces of equipment uh, might make it more desirable to continue with hydraulic uh, power, uh, especially for those applications uh, that are, you know, normal. That, that's, that's how the equipment runs today. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, versus our transport refrigeration equipment, uh, which really is all... Um, able to be converted to fully electric systems today fairly easy. Um, you know, compressors, fans, uh, controls, uh, they're all electric and they are today. Um, uh, so being able to do that power conversion, uh, provide that controlled energy and keep it all electric, um, you know, there's going to be applications like transport refrigeration that are much easier to do that with versus, say, a dump body or, or a refuse body. Okay, uh, we've got time for one more question here. This may take you off into the weeds a little bit, but that's okay. All these developments that we're going on now, playing out in the standard standards world, no clear answers yet for, for anybody who was asking. 
What does that mean for a fleet out there in the real world who might be getting ready to put shovels in the ground on a project, overhauling a terminal, building a new terminal? Uh, they're obviously going to want that to be state-of-the-art or as close to state-of-the-art as you can get as long as it lasts these days. What what advice would you have for fleets who are about to embark on a project like that? Wait a little bit or just dive in there and hope for the best? Well, if you're if you're considering electric vehicles at all within the next two years, uh, the time to plan infrastructure is now. Um, implementation time uh, from your initial groundbreaking to when your chargers are actually delivered and up and running um, can be 18 months to 24 months now, based on what I'm what I'm seeing in the industry. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of permitting, a lot of system design. And, and making sure that you get it right the first time. Because, yeah, there, you only get one chance to, uh, to bury conduit and pull wire and, and pour concrete. So uh, what I've seen fleets doing is, is very much working with their local power utility. Uh, there's also you know, quite a few uh, consulting companies for electric charging infrastructure that are out there today. And uh, as Thermal King, we visited with, with multiple utilities and, and, and quite a few of these consulting companies to educate them more about transport refrigeration applications, including shore power today, uh, because there may be cases where it makes a lot of sense to install electric vehicle architecture, electric vehicle charging systems for your, uh, for your trucks uh, and put in shore power for your uh, uh, you know, diesel and, and electric reefers today. Uh, and then look at, uh, like I mentioned previously, converting those over to charging systems uh, for the TRUs, for the trailer systems uh, in the future. And um, we're available and we've talked to quite a few customers uh, about planning in this manner. Um, I think thinking about the opportunity charging like we've talked about previously hasn't necessarily been uh, part of these uh, larger scale discussions, especially around electric tractors, where you know 250, you know 350 kilowatts is is the faster the better. So um, I think getting the message out there about looking at this opportunity charging, planning for it in your infrastructure, uh, or looking to uh, plan for shore power today and being able to convert that over to either AC or CCS charging in the future is really important. And, and Thermo can, can help you with that. We know the power requirements for our system. Um, we're definitely taking an, an agnostic uh, look at that, uh, again, through standardization, um, both for plugging in uh, uh, TRUs for shore power today, and then using these charging standards uh, to make sure that the plug is available tomorrow uh, for you to charge your, uh, charge your vehicles uh, charge your trailers uh, and power that uh, transport refrigeration equipment of the future. Fair enough. I'm going to give you the last word here. Is there any points you want to add that we didn't dig into deep enough or, or didn't cover at all that we before we wrap up? Uh, I think we really covered things pretty well. Uh, there's there's uh, there's lots of changes going on in the uh, commercial vehicle business. Obviously, uh, uh, we're talking about electrification more than ever. Uh, we're talking about uh, both hybrid and all electric operation, and uh, we're really engaging with customers uh, and our Thermal King dealers uh, on what electrification means uh, for truck and trailer systems for the future. So uh, as we continue to move along here at what seems to be a very uh, a very rapid play, uh, very rapid pace, um, stay tuned. Lots of lots of new things to come, and. Uh, uh, I think uh, working together to make sure we've all got a place to uh, uh, 
uh, to connect to and 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 plug things in uh, for charging uh, and uh, you know support the interoperability of of these pieces of equipment and all the innovative uh, chassis that are being produced. Uh, uh, really is is key here for moving the industry forward faster. Well, thanks for sharing your insights, Matt. I appreciate that. Very, very uh, insightful discussion. All right. Thanks a lot, Jim. This is a great opportunity. Uh, thanks for uh, hosting. Thermo King wants every child in the world to have an ice cream cone. That only happens if their products help customers deliver refrigerated goods. Whether you transport frozen tuna, fresh produce, pharmaceuticals, or anything else that needs refrigeration, Count on Thermoking to keep your business ahead of the curve with advances in electrification, telematics, and more. Discover Thermoking's latest innovations at thermoking.com. I've been speaking with Matt Cernick, Thermoking's uh, lead engineer for electrical systems. You can catch a shorter video version of this interview with Matt on our YouTube channel. That's Heavy Duty Trucking. As always, remember to follow and connect with us on social media and subscribe to HDT Talks Trucking on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. HDT is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.